All right, here we are, the Crave Show. If you're tuning in today, it's going to be a little different. We're we're calling these we're calling this a side quest. We're going on a side quest today for all of you D and D fans out there. Um, so if you're tuning in to this episode, clicking on YouTube or Spotify or wherever, expecting to hear us talk about skydiving, you might as well just turn it off because not today, brother. <laughs> I don't know what all we're going to talk about. We got a few things on the agenda, but yeah. it probably won't be skydiving. I mean, who knows? Maybe skydiving will come Maybe. up, but we're going to do these from time to time. Uh, we like to, Jairus and I like to talk about all sorts of sometimes weird stuff. Um, so who knows? We may get philosophical. We may get goofy weird i don't know but this is our first ever crave side quest and so uh, and just to fill everybody in it's not really the first one it's the first one we're going to record because we we had one where we didn't press record and we i think that one we spent talking mostly about religion yeah. um and then at the end of it we thought oh we should have recorded maybe and then i the next day i talked to somebody um at the drop zone and just told him what had happened. And he was like, Oh man, I would love to listen to that. Uh, and so we said, that's the last time we're going to not record. Yeah. So that's right. So Chris just opened this, this, uh, beforehand <laughs> chat with, um, uh, so Chris is apparently 45, which I learned today and that uh, is 52 true. and both of us are at a, a time in our lives where sadly somebody wants to look in our butt. Um, <laughs> And, and, uh, why, doctors, why would anybody, why would anybody want to make that their career? Like why? So you're sitting yeah. there and you're like, dude, you know what I want to do? Yeah. I want to look up. I want to stick a camera up people's butts. That's what I want to do with my life. Why, why would anybody do that? I, I don't know. I really don't know. <laughs> so that, I said, um, okay, Chris hit record and we'll see if we're going to publish this. And so there, I, there were two things that immediately came to mind. I, oh, a week ago, maybe a little more. I'm, I'm down in Arizona right now doing a little bit of military work. But um, before we came down here, Steph, Steph makes my doctor's appointments because uh, I am not that motivated to make those appointments where somebody's going to touch my butt. Um, so she makes them for me. And she made the doctor's office uh, said, we can, we can make that appointment, but you have to come in and do like a preliminary like you gotta you know get a baseline of your physical condition and take some blood and all that stuff and so i i went in there uh for my appointment and um this uh woman i would venture was no more than 25 and pretty cute came and sat down in front of me and started asking me questions <laughs> and as soon as she walked in i thought I don't know. I don't know about this. I, I don't know if this person is going to see me in that state. Uh, <laughs> and, and so I, I, I finished up and it, it didn't, you know, nothing. I, I kept my clothes on the whole time and they took some blood and did some baselines and, and uh, Steph called to cancel my appointment there uh, today. And I, when I went home, I was like, honey, I, I, I don't know how you chose that doctor's office. And I, kind of relate to her like, Hey, this is really pretty cute. 25 uh, year old blonde uh, girl. I, I, I don't know if I, that's the person that I really want putting a finger in my butt. Um, and, and she said, Oh, I'm not sure if that's what I want either. And I, I said, uh, you know, how about like some 70 year old dude who doesn't, doesn't really care. Yeah. Okay. So that's not actually the story. If you can believe it. 
this is the story. Uh, I so about four or five it might years get weird. ago, yeah, I, it might. It is kind of right now. About four or five years ago, Steph made another appointment for me and said, "Oh, you should have had this done when you were forty-five." And I didn't, and I had it done when I was maybe forty-eight or forty-nine. And I go to the doctor's office, and we're chit-chatting. This guy about my age, and uh, he's doing all kinds of regular tests and. And in the middle of it, I was like, you know, Doc, is uh, is it still like a finger in the butt thing? And he said, yeah, hmm. that's, that's the thing. And I was like, man, all the technology we got, all really, that's, he's like, it really is the best way. Like, it, it really is. And he's like, I caught some guy, you know, with prostate, pre-prostate cancer, or prostate cancer, but it's super early and he's 46, he's about your age. And so, you know, but then it's quick and easy and. And, he, and he's no, you know, he moves on with no problem. Okay. So a few more minutes and then he's finally like, okay, it's that time. Here, here we here go. It comes. Yep. So, okay. Take your pants down, bend over the table. He's like, okay, I'm going to put my left hand on your butt cheek. And then <laughs> here comes my finger. And, and uh, you know, not to be overly personal. I'm trying but, not to imagine yeah, it, but I can't stop. Yeah, he can't stop. But uh, <laughs> uh, that's the first time anything's gone that direction. <laughs> in my life so oh okay have you and seen like, Fletch? Oh, yeah he's an office there doc um <laughs> and so he moon really? <laughs> exactly that's exactly how i felt like oh my god what am i in here for <laughs> um so right then like he's he's got a couple digits in my butt oh come and on the freaking door opens whoa the, whoa the, the office door no so both of us at the same time are like, no, 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 no. And like kicking at the door with like, I'm naked with a finger in my butt kicking at the door and he's kicking at the door and his finger never came out of me. And, and it's like this 15 year old kid that was in the, the waiting room with me who clearly got confused about where the exit was. Oh my gosh, dude. Talk so about the, traumatic. And, and I'm looking back at the door and the doctor is, no, 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 close the door. And he opens the door and he was like looking at the ground expecting, I'm sure, expecting to leave the facility. And he looks up and goes, ah, and, <laughs> and like, closes the door and runs. And so I just am like, what, what the heck? What just and, happened? And the, the doctor is just, oh my God, I'm so sorry. I'm sure he thought I was going to sue him. Yeah. I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. He must've apologized like a hundred times. I was like, man, it's, I mean, it's not cool, but whatever it happened. And, and, I, and, and so he's trying to play it off a little bit. And I was like, you know what, doc, to be honest, like, I'm guessing that kid is way more traumatized than I am. Oh, heck uh, yes. Heck yeah. Like he's, you know, he's going to be like, oh, I don't want to sure. be 40. <laughs> yeah. That kid so that's is still my, having nightmares. Yeah. That's, oh, that's, man, that is and, awesome. That's a so, good story. Do you know, um, this is a little bit of skydiving. Do you know the uh, Zion free fly team from Norway? Yes. I mean, I don't know them, but I, I think I actually yeah. met them one time, but, uh, or one of them, but yeah, I know yeah. who they are. Super good people. <clears throat> Anna Mox, Andreas, uh, Petter, and then Christian Moxness uh, stepped in when um, Andreas got hurt, I think. And uh, I saw them like the next day and I told them the story and then they were all like, well, I think when we're in the plane, we've got a new handshake. And I said, okay. And they held that up to me and I stuck my finger in 
and they gripped it and that was our handshake from then on and i, I just saw them a few months ago and they all did the exact same thing that's awesome yeah, yeah. actually yes anna because anna is one of the owners of the edge oh yeah yeah yeah, yeah. and they do they do all the marketing help us with marketing for the for crave yeah. great people. yeah yeah really cool that's awesome yeah. <clears throat> that is funny man well with that opener I mean, we can go a lot of different directions, really. Well, here, we, we can go this direction. It's not really my, my shirt. I want to ask you what you think about it. Can you read it? Porn kills love. Yeah. It's an organization, uh, Fight the New Drug. They've been around for, oh, I don't know, actually maybe eight or ten years now. But um, they, um, they do a lot of stuff trying to promote just the it's it's not a it's not a christian it's not a religious it's not from a moral point of view they don't they mm. don't even talk about they don't say that porn is wrong or that it's bad they just from a purely um i guess scientific or research from a data driven point of view like what does pornography do to your brain how does it affect you mentally how does it affect mm. you emotionally what is it i mean just through pure research and data, what does it do to people? People who spend a lot of time consuming pornography, <clears throat> what do their uh, relationships look like? What does their sex life look like? What is, and so they've just spent, I mean, they've just gathered so much data, not, not just themselves, but also utilizing other organizations and people and research around the world and stuff. And they've put out some very, very, interesting stuff and they have uh you can go to their website and see different videos and they have educational content and all sorts of stuff but um i just ordered this shirt from them a while back uh just as a way to kind of support the organization and what they're trying to do um so i don't know i don't wear this shirt very often because i'm kind of it's kind of weird to wear it and then walk around you know because i never know what people are going to think or how people are going to interpret it um well interestingly to me, interesting to me. Um, th that's a that's a very uh, unassailable, I think, unassailable message on your shirt. And it, it, what do you when you, what do you mean unassailable? What, what do you mean by that? Well, hopefully, it's not um, uh, bad. That's not the right word, but. Hopefully it's not uh, incorrect to say that most people in their life have seen porn and um, and it's not very scientific for me to say what I'm going to say anecdotal at best because it's just my experience. But the times that I have viewed it, I, I know for certain in myself that there's a change in me as far as my um sexual drive towards my wife and um if uh, and so i i not, not not i mean i think uh maybe people don't know i'm i'm not a religious fellow and i um although i hope i have morals and ethics um but just from that experiential basis i don't view it very often because i i i don't want it to to adversely affect my relationship with Steph. And I know that if I did view it a lot, it would, um, even actually a little bit makes a change and I, it's not a change that I really like. And so the, I guess 
I'm going to guess that most people have felt something similar, but, but have maybe, I mean, we all have different reactions to those feelings. So for some people, I know that there's a, there's an addiction to porn and, and like you yeah. to the, to, really to the detriment of your relationship with the person that you're with. And that, that's obviously causes problems in relationships. Um, but I think that for, with the baseline knowledge that of mine, that most people have viewed porn at some time in their life, they've probably done more than just view it. Um, and then they've probably, I mean, we're all built very similarly. And so they've probably had a very similar reaction in themselves. Maybe some people know, but most times when I feel things like that, I don't think it's unique to me. I, I don't think I'm the, you know, the, the, the exception to the rule. Um, and so that means that your shirt, in my opinion, conveys a message that most people can identify with. And mm. it, 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 there's not a lot mm. of, um, it's, it's not a moral message. You're not commanding anything. It's not an ethical message. It is, is more of just an observation of the real world that you're carrying on your shirt. And, and I think that is somewhat unassailable. Like it, mm. You, you can get people to a defensive position if you shake the foundations of their belief system. But when it's an experiential uh, system, it's much harder to shake that in people. It's much harder to make them feel shaky. It's just something you experienced. Um, and people can't tell you that that didn't happen because you experienced it. Mm -hmm. um, so I think that probably a lot of people would look at that and it, mo I, I would argue that most people would go, oh, yeah, kind of. Mm. Um, and I, the, the only thing that I guess I would perhaps disagree with is that I still love my wife and it didn't necessarily kill that, it, but, but maybe, I don't know. I, I wouldn't want to water the statement down because it's powerful the way it is, but um, excessive porn or something like that, you know, mm -hmm. um, is, is maybe more true to the, mm -hmm. the real life situation. Or yeah. maybe there's some people that they view it once and that's it. I don't know. Um, yeah. But, um, well, yeah. and I think, I think the way I was kind of thinking about understanding the message that it, it's not like a gunshot to the head, you know, it's not right. instant, but that over time it will, it will, it kills it over time. Yeah. Okay. It kills love, you know? Um, yeah. I, yeah. And, and I've, I've noticed in myself, those, times you know in my life or whatever when i've when i have consumed or watched porn that it also changes not just the way that i <clears throat> think about my wife but the way that i view women in general like i i, I stop it, it affects the way you see them not as not as people as beautiful humans as creation as, as something valuable as as a as a person but you start just seeing every every girl, every woman as a object. As a th I mean, it really is. It teaches you. It trains you to objectify the other sex. Um, yeah. I mean, it really does. I mean, that's that's the kind of the basis of what it is. It it is pure objectification. Um. Yeah. Um. So, I mean, I guess we, we said this is a side quest, so 
you can go anywhere. But yeah. um, I used to bartend. That was how I spent uh, the uh, from the time I was in college at about 19 or 20. I got a job at a bar and I bartended for a long time. Uh, I owned a bar. I managed a few bar restaurants. And near the end of my bartending time, which was, I think I was probably not that long ago, 42. Um, so at most 10 years ago, um, I worked at a strip club for a few years. And um, at first, uh, I like women. And there's women without a lot of clothes on, running around, and made a lot of money. And it was great. And then I got to know some of the women that worked there. And it stopped being great. Mm. And um, by the end of my time there, do you remember the story of Pinocchio? Mm -hmm. Pinocchio, he sure. wanted to be a boy, and he and at some point he kind of hangs out with boys, and and like they go in the city, and it's bright lights, and everything's cool, and then it turns to midnight, and he grows a tail, and everybody turns into donkeys, and mm -hmm. it's it's like a trap, and he's got to get out, and that is how I felt. Like I have got to get out of this place that it is just misery and i am profiting from that misery mm. and it, it just really made me sad after a while um and so i stopped working there but th that experience definitely changed the way that i feel about well, that industry in general because i had been to strip clubs as a customer before but after working there i, I don't want to go mm -hmm. um and uh <clears throat> and porn is mixed right into that and, um, you know, in addition to what's on your shirt that I, I think is very relevant, there's the other end of most of the people that are involved in that industry have been through some serious trauma. Mm -hmm. And, um, and it is in my experience, that it is exactly what you imagine that it's going to be. That trauma is what you know it to be. Um, and I knew no one who worked at the bar who hadn't been through that trauma mm -hmm. and that is just pretty sad. Uh, mm -hmm. and, and I don't want to be a downer, but, um, it, it kind of is. And if you're going to, I, I, I'm, I'm split in some ways because I don't necessarily think that the people that consume porn or even the people that go to strip clubs, most of the time, they're not bad people. They just maybe haven't thought all the way through the situation or they, they don't want to think all the way through it. They want to go and have a good time and, and, maybe not be burdened with the reality of what is on the other end of their good time. Um, yeah. Well, and, and on the surface, I mean, just from a, a biological standpoint, it's enjoyable. You know what I mean? I mean, yeah. especially for guys, we're, we're visual, mm -hmm. like boobs are awesome. Mm -hmm. Right. No, I mean, I mean, that, yeah. that, I don't mean that in a crass crude. I'm just saying like women are beautiful. Women are really nice to look at. And that's a, that's an awesome thing. That's good. Like we should enjoy that. But I think what porn and, and strip clubs and um, whatever else is connected to that, it's, it's a perversion of something good, something that's meant to be really, really good and beautiful. It gets perverted. It gets twisted and it gets turned into something that becomes a trap. And that actually doesn't give you what it promises. It doesn't give you the satisfaction that you're looking for. It doesn't give you the joy and the pleasure that you're hoping for. It really is. It's an, it's an empty, it's an empty water jug in the middle mm. of the desert, you know? Yeah. 
you see it and you're like, oh, yes. And then it's just sand. It's dirt in your mouth. It's <laughs> a good analogy. Yeah. Um, so that's yeah, what, I, I mean, that's right. what makes it, I mean, that's what draws, whether it's everybody on earth or not, but a lot, especially, I mean, I would venture to say a lot of, at least a lot of guys, surely most guys. Have. Sure. Yeah. It reminds me of, you know, the, um, the research that was done with, um, putting a rat in a very barren cage and it, it had access to like cocaine in the water or, or it had a regular water bottle and then a water bottle laced with Coke or heroin or something mm -hmm. like that. I'm it's sure it's really interesting research. And basically in the absence of anything to do, the rat will bypass the water that it needs to live and just go for the drug infused water. And it, I don't know, it originally proved something about addiction, but then what they did was they changed the cage to have, uh, you know, scenery and maybe other rats and a, a spinny wheel and stuff like that rat can climb on and rat, they can move all over activity. the cage. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Like a, a, a real life. And then the rat bypassed the drug infused mm. water and just drank water. And, uh, of course the, the summary of that from the research, there's a TEDx talk that, um, I mean, I'd heard of the research before, and then I saw a TEDx person talking mm -hmm. about it. And the, the basic idea was if we can extrapolate from that, if, if you're addicted to drugs or you're say in this case, we're talking about porn, um, you need to change your cage. You, mm -hmm. you, you know, the, the cage that you've, you've kind of made for yourself, which is probably mm -hmm. just your world is not the right one. And, mm. and if you can do that, and I, this is an oversimplification for sure, because I think especially addiction is more complicated than this, but it's mm -hmm. at least a good starting point of like, um, bringing yourself out of perhaps behaviors that are harmful and whether that's drug use or, um, drug abuse, I should say, or mm. um, abuse of, of porn or whatever. Um, it, it has to do with the, perhaps the life that you've created for yourself and, and thinking about that. That's, that's, yeah, that's very interesting that <clears throat> I've kind of wondered for a few years and, and even I guess kind of dreamed of using, is there a way that we could use skydiving to help people overcome addiction? Um, because mm. I think part of, part of what I heard, what you were saying, <clears throat> maybe, and maybe I'm, <clears throat> maybe this is not what the research shows, but like just how valuable community is and relationship and how that can help us. And I see in the skydiving community, the, the opportunity for people to have something to do, number one, something that's, that's enjoyable and exciting. And then also to connect with a group of people in a community that could really help a person overcome some of that stuff. Um, <clears throat> yeah. No, I mean, it would, it would, I think it would require the right group of people, the right, the right, you know, format or whatever to wait. I don't know how it would be done. I'm just, I have just thought of that and kind of dreamed, man, what, what if we could do that? What if we could somehow help people get out of addiction when, when they're in the right place? I mean, cause I think I really, I do believe in, in treatment and counseling and, and the things that people are doing. There's lots of great places out there that <clears throat> serve and help people overcome addiction of all kinds but maybe it's just one part of that treatment. Like, yeah. you know, get them involved in skydiving. Let us love on them and take them up in the plane and have fun and, and bring them into the community to where we want to try to hold each other accountable and, and be 
be healthy, you know? I think it'd be great. Um, I, I agree that it would be part of the program. Mm -hmm. um, and there's, uh, I know that I have, um, I can think of a couple of people off the top of my head who had addiction issues and before they got into skydiving and they, they were pretty self-aware when I talked to them that they were, they knew, they knew they were trading one addiction for the other. Mm. And, and so an addiction to skydiving was preferable to addiction to whatever they had been addicted to before. And I agree. Um, mm -hmm. I think if, you know, that's, if you feel that's your kind of personality that, um, you know, at least switching to being addicted is something that, uh, could be healthy and constructive is better than being addicted to something destructive. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. Um, um, you know, we, we had talked about that last time when we didn't record, we talked a little bit about like good and evil and bad, bad stuff in the world. So that kind of thing. We, I mean, we talked about quite a bit of stuff, but, um, I've, I've been thinking about that a whole lot and I came up the other day, I was, um, just sitting thinking and I thought about an analogy, kind of a story came to my mind. And so I created this story in my mind and I was like, Oh, I want to share that with Jay Russ and see what he thinks about it. And like, hear your, your, your honest feedback on it. Um, <clears throat> so it's kind of dealing with this idea of you know, if God, if there is a God, if God is supposedly good and he's all powerful and he's all knowing, then how can there be bad? You know, why does he allow all this bad stuff, evil and pain and suffering <clears throat> so okay what if what if we sat down and i showed you a documentary and this documentary was about a man who lives in a house and in his house his house is full of puppets like actual puppets that he has made all these puppets himself and they're all different kinds and he uses the puppet i mean the only i mean they're puppets so the only way they do anything is if he does it right, right? like that's the way puppets work. So these are just normal, real puppets. They're not magical. They don't do anything on their own. But every day he interacts with these puppets. He had, they're doing all sorts of stuff. There's this whole community and world of puppets in his house. <clears throat> and in the documentary, we see that this guy like is in, like loves these puppets. And when the puppets, <clears throat> when the puppets talk to him or talk about him to one another, they love him. Well, what would you, how would you characterize that love or how would you criticize, what would you think about that love that they have towards him and that he has towards them? Hmm. And then can, you, you want to answer that question? Or you want me to keep going? We keep going. And then from time to time, these puppets, they do bad things to one another. Sometimes the puppets, one puppet will beat another puppet or steal from another puppet or, or murder another puppet. Well, obviously, I mean, puppets, they're puppets. So who's really doing it? I mean, who's making the puppets do all those things, right? Like you have to remember these are normal. They're not magical puppets that they're not dolls that are camp came to life. So, um, how would you feel about like, how would you criticize that? How would you think about that? How would that, what would that be like? And if we said, um, and then um, if we contrast, contrasted that with a documentary 
Um, and, and, and those puppets, they praise him. They say how awesome and how wonderful and how great he is. Um, the ones that are, that are doing good, that, that don't get hurt, they get protected and get saved or whatever. And then we contrasted that with a documentary on Mother Teresa, who lives in a place where she takes care of all these kids and, and people who she can't control and who sometimes are mean to her, sometimes are mean to others. And when she talks about her love of those people that she cares for and they talk about their love of her, how would, that, how would we feel different about that? And the bad things that those people in Mother Teresa's world, in her home or, or wherever she lives, the bad things they do to one another, how would we characterize that differently from the puppets? Well, if I back up to the original question, I think, are these marionette puppets or are they puppets that were set in motion, grew on their own? but still interact with the creator or is the, is the creator no, no, constantly these are just normal, manipulating I mean, them? Yeah. They're just normal puppets that he's constantly manipulating. So, I mean, they're like, so real. Then, I mean, they're just regular old puppets. Yeah. Then you got to stick your hand up them and move them. Right. Or, or marry or with the thing. Yeah. But that means that whatever violence or anything that's bad, that's introduced into the system came from, the creator, the puppet master, the mm -hmm. whatever you want to call that person. Mm -hmm. And, and that it's interesting that you bring this up because, um, one of my favorite podcasts to listen to is Joe Rogan. And he had a, a physicist on, um, who is deeply religious and, um, has, has tried very hard to reconcile those two positions. Um, and the, the argument, as I understand it, for the existence of, of evil in a world created by a benevolent, omniscient and omnipotent deity is free will mm. the, that mankind yeah. was given free will. And because of that evil was introduced into the world in the idea that you're saying a benevolent in my understanding of that word means all good. There that there is no evil in there. And if that's the idea, then I don't think it works for the puppet thing, because if there's no evil in the puppeteer, how, how could there possibly ever be murder or violence or whatever out of the puppets? Because the person or being controlling them has no evil in them. Um, and, and so I, I think that, that just on a logical basis, that, that part would break down. Um, wait, 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 hold on. I'm not sure that I followed what. Well, if you, if you start from a, an, but sorry, there's people talking outside. I don't know if you can hear that, but I apologize. Um, if you start from a, from the puppeteer, the person or entity controlling the puppets, if you start from the premise of, no evil exists in that entity or being or whatever, then there's no evil that can possibly be translated to the puppets because there was none to begin with. There's, if it's a truly benevolent deity being, that's all they have is good. There's no, there's no evil. Um, and so if, if, you know, 
<laughs> I mean, if you're a little kid and you control puppets, eventually they're going to smash them together and they're going to fight. It's just, it, the child is not benevolent, that, at least not in my understanding of, of mm -hmm. the word. So mm -hmm. the, the, the first part of the, the picture, um, as far as puppets and a puppet master, that would be a difficult one for me to reconcile with a, a, the word benevolent. Uh, uh, well, yeah. So I'm, what I, I'm not saying that the puppet master is God. Okay. Is that because what I'm saying, because what you said, free will, my thought is that in order that, that you have to believe in free will to believe that God really is God. Right. Like there has to be free will. And so with the puppet master, there is no free will. Because when mm -hmm. the when the puppet says, "Oh, I love you," to the puppet master, is the puppet really saying it? No, it's it's the guy. The guy is yeah. saying, "I love you" to himself. Well, so that's not free will. When when let's just, I mean, we could say the puppets never do anything wrong to one another. They never do anything bad. Well, yeah, okay, it's just because the guy never makes them do bad stuff. Like that mm -hmm. was what I what I was trying to like kind of work over in my own mind was why would, how can there be bad stuff? Like, why would God allow, if God is real, if God really exists, why would he allow bad stuff? And I came up, I, what I came up against was, well, free will. He almost like he has to, he has to let me choose because otherwise my love, if I don't have the ability to not choose him, to not love him, if I have to love him, then I'm a puppet. He's saying, I love you to himself. But as soon as, as soon as I'm not a puppet, as soon as he gives me actual life, actual free will, and I can say, I don't love you. Then when I say, I do love you, that's real. That's what I was trying to reconcile in my own head and mm -hmm. kind of came up with this analogy. So I, I found myself like playing through the scenario in my mind of seeing it. Well, because if, if, if we can't do something wrong, then, then it's not really right. Well, it's not, if there is no, if there is no evil, then there is no good. Does that make sense? I mean, I know that maybe that sounds kind of cliche and oversimplified, but I mean, on the on the basis of of free will being required to actually express a sentiment like love, that part I can agree with. But it, if the if the goal of of creation, and again, this is I'm I'm kind of being extemporaneous here. If the goal of creation, if the, if you believe in that, is the goal if you believe in creation as a thing is the mm -hmm. goal to create a bunch of creatures that love the creator. Like, is that the, is that the thrust of, of what the creation was for? And, and, and I'm not sure that that would be it, but if that's not the goal, if we leave that goal aside, I, I don't need these little humans to love me. I just want to set it in motion and I want them to be happy, then I think that there, there could be a world that's created without evil and you could be happy 
and and we don't necessarily need torture and murder and war and rape or whatever whatever evils exist in the world or childhood cancer or cancer at all or mm-hmm. you know like if if you leave out the you must love the creator then i think that um we could potentially have free will and and even though it's not something that's easy to envision because it isn't the world we live in i th- i think that it would be possible to leave out the evils of the world and just make it happy little creatures and so this is one of the reasons when we re- didn't record this conversation before but we should have that um it's much easier for me to buy into the idea that we live in a simulation um and there's some really good evidence for that uh because I think that if there was a hyper, super intelligent being that that wanted to set this in motion, and I, I, I find this this idea very uh, infectious. It, it, it has taken root in my head and, and hard to get out. That if that was the goal, I, I want to make a simulation and see where it goes, you would set the initial conditions and let it go. And then you would be an observer on the outside and you would actually be godlike to whatever came out of the simulation because you, you can control all the parameters and you can end the simulation and you can, you can maybe stuff out different parts of the simulation or rewrite the program or whatever. But, you're, but it's basically just a, a casual observer more in line with something like the, the god of Spinoza, if you've, if you've ever read about um, uh, the bear. Baruch Spinoza, he was a Spanish philosopher, naturalist, I think in the 1300s, um, where there was an entity and he believed in something like the force from Star Wars that there wasn't, it was out there, but it just set us in motion and watching like the natural world is, is kind of God. Um, and, and even that I, I, I could buy into, but um, sorry. Um, but, uh, yeah, I I think just on, on a logical extensions, there's a lot of times where the sort of traditional stories about God, for me at least, I, I pick them apart and mm-hmm. oh, show me I knew it was going to be loud over here, but <laughs> that's my little dog. Barking. So what if, what if the goal of creation isn't, um, what if the goal of creation is relationship that, what if God created man so that he could have real relationship? with them real meaning that you need the full spectrum to to have it um, be real like the possibility real, of hate real and... yeah no i see what you're saying no real meaning like i was saying that we're not automatons because he could because no. like i can create a robot we could build a robot that has a relationship with me and quote relationship right but is that a real is that actually a relation like do i have a relationship with my phone you know what I'm saying? Like it, it does everything I say. It interacts with me. Siri talks to me. I can, but I don't have a real, that's not a relationship. That, not in the, not in the sense that I have a relationship with my wife or my kids or my mom or my dad, you know? And so if that, that's what I was, I, I, my mind keeps going back to like a robot or a puppet or something that doesn't have, that is 100% controlled by the creator. Well, that to me, that's not a, how is that ever a real relationship? How is that ever real love or real connection? If it's 
something that the creator is controlling and and doing f- just essentially for themselves only until only until Steph chose you like because she chose to be with you that's part of what makes it so significant that's what makes it so meaningful is that she wants to be and she actually could have chosen to not be with you to not love you and that to me that makes it that makes the choice more it makes the love more meaningful meaningful more real because where if she didn't have a choice if you were forcing her you know through hypnosis or whatever to be with you well that would be we would all think you were a terrible person (laughs) You know, like if we, if it came to light that you had just had her under hypnosis right. all these years and she had no choice, we'd be like, Jairus, you, you know, like, oh my gosh, we'd hate you. Sure. But yes, obviously you, you haven't done that. And so does that, does that make sense? Is that, that, that's it, kind it of, does make sense. so that relationship <laughs> aspect to me, that is so foundational, the free will and God's desire to have relationship with us means that we I have to also have the opportunity and the ability to not choose him. And if we say that, then we may have to step back one, one step and say, okay, well then what is evil or what it, you know? And so if I, if I choose not God and and maybe this is too broad, I I haven't thought through this all the way, so I'm going to say it and I may have to backtrack, but maybe evil is not doing God's will not choosing God. And so then that means if I, if I say I don't love God, I don't want to be with God. If I actually have the ability and the choice to do that, then that means I can go and I can push someone down. I can steal a car. I can, then that means I have to have the ability to do all those things that are not honoring to God, that do not seek that relationship with him do not show is that fair does that make sense or how, how does it, that it, it does i think that one of the one of the difficulties with these conversations that so many things come up at the same time and, yeah. and like the, <laughs> so you know there's yeah there's different uh there's so many sort angles, of channels yeah. to explore um the, I, I all the way back to the beginning there's a couple things that that came up as you were talking of like um required to love God are you required to love God to get into God's heaven um oh that is a great question I I think I would my understanding at this point is that God allows you to have what you want if you want to be with him Mm -hmm. you will get to be with him if you don't want to be with him, then you won't have to be with him. Now, then we could talk about, okay, what does it look like to not be with him? That's another one of those rabbit trails. But so are you required to love him? I don't see it as a requirement. It's just, do you want to be with him or not? Okay. Well, is that, or am I, am yeah. I, I don't, I'm really not I trying mean, to dodge your question, but am I, am yeah. I dodging your question? I, I mean, <laughs> dodging is not the right word. I think that people in general, when they, when they ha- have different belief systems, they, most 
people. There are fringe elements always, but most people want their belief system to be reasonable and rational and understandable to other people. Mm -hmm. And um, there are a few people that we probably call terrorists most of the time who don't give a shit if anybody care, understands or identifies. They're, they're hardliners. That what I believe is the right way. And if I have to kill somebody for it, that's that's fine. Most people are not like that. And I, I know that you're not like that. Um, so if my alternative to loving God is to spend an eternity in a place where I have a special skin that is burned off and magically is replaced so that I can have it burned off again, that's not a choice in my mind. Um, and... Uh, that is almost back to I'm a puppet. Like I, I have to do this or I spend the rest of all time in hell. Mm. And um, that to me is very unpalatable. And, <clears throat> um, and I don't, that doesn't sound like free will to me. And, it, and one of the things that I really struggle with about that concept in particular is the idea that if free will was the original problem, why, why there's evil in the world and, and I have actual free will, free will means that I can believe something other than what's written in a holy book. Um, that's actual free will. And the idea to me that the, the omniscient being, omnipotent, all powerful, all knowing, all good being that created the parameters that I live under would then punish me for living in those parameters and, and having free will that includes the possibility that I don't believe in, in that system. Um, and then because of that, I may not, that I, that I have this crazy fate awaiting me when I die, that it breaks down for me the idea that there actually was free will and, and I'm just a prisoner of this system. If I don't agree to it, <clears throat> excuse me, I go to hell. And, and then the, can I, yeah, go ahead. Well, I just, I want to, I want to push back, but I really want to be sensitive and, and try to, um, because I, I, I think I understand what you're saying. Let me, I'm gonna, I want to try to repeat it back first. So if, if the two options are do what God says or burn in hell forever, that's not really a choice, right? Is that, is that what you're saying? Is that, did I summarize it yep. fairly? Okay. Mm -hmm. um, I do understand that. And that does not sound nice at all. <laughs> it's like, that sounds like a tyrant. Um, yeah. Okay. Now. No, saying that I understand that now, let me step back because we don't do that with other things. And this is where I'm going to push back and I'm trying to be sensitive, but I'm, I'm also going to try to be direct. Like, so can I, let me just interrupt for a second. Sure. Yeah. You don't necessarily have to be sensitive because the, the belief system that I carry is not being violated by anything in this conversation. Okay. And, and okay. so it's very well, difficult to offend me in okay. this kind of conversation. Well, thank you. That's very yeah. nice. Um, so you, I think you don't do that with everything else, like with your relationship with Steph. She, I, I, can you say oh, that in a different way? Yeah. I'm, I'm going to try to explain okay. like basically, and, and my relationship with my wife, with Tanya, right? Like if I want to continue to be with Tanya, 
and, and enjoy the blessings and the pleasures of life with her, I have to be faithful to her. If yes. I go out, if I go out and sleep around and get with a whole bunch of other women, she's not going to continue to be with me. She's going to kick me out of the house. She's going to divorce me. She's going to not let me, not want me to see the kids. If I'm, if I become a drug addict and I, whatever. And, and so to me, that's kind of the, it seems like the same thing. And so that's why I want to hear, I want you to tell me whether it is or isn't why, if it's not the same thing, I want to understand why, but it does seem very similar. We do that with lots of different things. Like with skydiving, you don't have to wear a parachute. You don't have to wear a rig, but you know the consequences, right? Like, so yeah. how, how is that different or is it, is it the same? And we could see, see similarities or different or whatever, but, um, th does that make? Yeah. But I, what comes to mind is the term false dichotomy that, that I understand what you're saying, but that there is, and this is a really interesting nuanced part that in my opinion, ethics and morality exist outside of religion. And, and so it is possible in my mind to live an ethical, moral life, treating other human beings the way that they deserve to be treated. It has nothing to do with religion. And so if I did that, and yet I ascribe to no God, and I ask for forgiveness from no one that I have not wronged, uh, I am not, at least in my understanding of, of Christianity, if I have not repented my sins and asked forgiveness, I am not welcome into that kingdom. Um, and yet, if that was the only thing missing, is, is that, is that it, now are we at a good analogy? Like, in the relationship idea, there there are choices, right? You have choices, and I have choices, and and you see a pretty girl, and you could choose to go try to be with her, and and of course our wives would, would not like that, but appropriately so. But I've I've made choices that that don't fit into the scenario. But if I make good choices my whole life, live in an otherwise Christian way, but I don't satisfy the parameters of Christianity, I still and with murderers and rapists and anyone else who, who does not live in a way that I would call cohesive with other human beings. Um, because you still, still end up in hell. Is that what you're saying? Right. Okay. I would. Um, and, and I, I've had this similar debates all, all of my life. Uh, um, and I, they're some of my favorite conversations, except the idea that you said a few minutes ago that I, I don't want to offend anybody's belief system. I want to have, you know, logical and hopefully rational conversations and, and hopefully both of us will come away a better person with, with interesting ideas. There are, as I understand it, four different times in the Bible that adherents are commanded to put their child to death if their child talks back. And I believe it's, um, Exodus, Leviticus, Deuteronomy, and actually one of the Psalms. Um, and I, I would have to look it up to be totally accurate, but I, I, I'm, I'm fairly accurate that that's correct. And, and most people, I think, hardliners aside, would agree that's, that's not the way I want to live. That, mm -hmm. that doesn't make any sense to me. I, I'm not going to kill my child who doesn't know any better because they talk back. I'm going to try to teach them the right way to do it, um, but uh, I can't do that. I, 
And, and on that basis alone, I think that, that you could potentially argue that morality and, and ethics can exist outside of that framework. Um, and most religions have the feeling that they're trying to put out a framework for a good life and treating others with respect and dignity and, 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 uh, and yet in all religions, in my opinion, there's, there's some things that I would strongly disagree with that, that are not ethical or moral. Um, mm. and, and so that was so, sort of later on in, in what you said, um, kind of about leading a good life and, and treating, treating people correctly. Um, mm -hmm. and one of my issues with, uh, uh, institutional religion. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's, I mean, I, I do know, I know one or two of the passages that you're talking about. I didn't, I didn't realize there were four. Um, and I would honestly, to be able to even talk about those passages with any kind of knowledge or coherence, I'd have to go back and reread them and, yeah. and try to understand, you know, I mean, my, I think my, my just off the cuff response specifically to that topic would be, well, I don't, I would really want to understand the context, the culture, like exactly, and, and go back and look at, since all those are in the Old Testament, the Hebrew, like what was really yeah. trying to be communicated? Why was that the case? Did it really mean, was it a simple statement like, hey, your kid talks back one time, chop his head off? Is that really what it was saying and what it meant? Um, yeah. I, I mean, I, I don't think so. <laughs> I don't think that's what it meant. Just... But the, Chris, the, you whole, find it the whole story of, of God and who got it. But there are lots of things in the Bible that are very hard to swallow. And I'm like, what? <laughs> and, and, what? and just that, just, just that, what you just said, the fact that, that I said, there's a place, there's a, there are places in the Bible and multiple times that say, put your child to death for something. That isn't something that you can just say, no, that doesn't exist my religious book would not say to put a child to death. You have to go back and read it and, and try and contextualize what it says in the book, which I, I can empathize with. It's great that that's the way that you would want to approach it. There are people who have no need for that. It mm. says, put my child to death. I'm, I'm sick of this kid. I'm killing him. And I have a mandate from God. Mm. And, and for a non-religious person, that's, that's really hard to see. And, mm -hmm. and, and the other really honestly fascinating thing that you just said, which you may or may not be aware of is that the, the Bible, as far as I know, was originally written in Aramaic and, uh, it has been translated in, of course, into Arabic and Greek and, and passed down through the ages. And finally we have, you know, English versions of the Bible. Aramaic is very similar to Arabic. Um, in the fact that they do not put vowels into their written words. And that means that the original Bible was written as uh, you had to take the meaning of the sentence from the context of what was written <laughs> because there were no vowels and there could be any number of interpretations to those words. And in fact, one of my former teammates was trying to learn Arabic when we were living overseas. And he was like, this is monstrously difficult. You don't think that the subtraction of vowels is a big deal, but you could read it in three different ways and all of them are equally valid. Um, and when you're thinking about 
moral and ethical commandments that can then be interpreted in, in whatever way you want, or maybe not whatever way you want, that's too broad, but in multiple different ways. Um, and then that that translation has to get passed down and passed through a human being that can contextualize it in the way that they choose. That is, again, very difficult to swallow for a non-religious person of like, I don't, I don't know who originally wrote this. I don't even know if this has anything to do with what they originally meant. And so you going back and studying a passage that says, put your child to death, I'll agree with you that maybe the people who wrote originally had no intention of, of saying that that was appropriate or in any way allowed. And somehow it's what we've got today. Mm -hmm. um, and, 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 and again, very difficult for a non-religious person to find palatable. Yeah. I, do, I think I would maybe just offer the correction. I, the old Testament, I think was primarily not Aramaic, but I, I think it, most of the original manuscripts that we have are, it is Hebrew. It wasn't Aramaic. Now Aramaic was a dialect of Hebrew. Um, and Jesus spoke Aramaic. Um, but like, if, I mean, we, we have a lot of those original manuscripts still. And, and even like the Dead Sea Scrolls that were found like in the 40s, 1940s, I think. Yeah. Um, those are all those are all Hebrew. Um, now, maybe I'm maybe I'm wrong. I, I could okay. I, I could be wrong. Um, but I, I've also kind of going along like yeah. with what you're saying. I've always thought that the, the New Testament what do you mean? Cover my mic. It's so oh, loud. It's, I'm sorry. It's really not bothersome. It's okay. really not. I mean, I can hear them, but it's not. Yeah. I just, it's just a conversation in the background. Um, kind of go along with what you're saying. One thing that I've thought about that's kind of confusing. I don't know if confusing, but just interesting. The New Testament was written all in Greek. Okay. So, but Jesus was speaking primarily Aramaic. Okay. So, and, and all of his, disciples his 12 disciples were he were jews so they were speaking hebrew and aramaic um so they're walking around following him he's preaching and teaching in in aramaic or hebrew and and then they're writing it down in greek so even if i can read greek perfectly like if i'm completely fluent in greek when i read jesus's words that's not actually his words because he didn't say it in Greek, they translate it, you know? And so it, what first made me realize that is when we lived in Thailand for eight years. And so I got to the point where I was pretty fluent in Thai and I started realizing, you know, when I would translate for people, people would come to visit or um, translate for friends or, or even at church, sometimes translate for, for people. I realized like, Oh, wait a minute. It's really difficult. It's really, it's, it's an art. It's a skill to be a good translator, it takes a lot of practice and to get the, to get the, the nuance and the meaning and what they're trying to say, it's really hard. And so it really, it, it just one day I realized like, oh my goodness, I don't actually know like the Sermon on the Mount in, in Matthew five and six, Jesus gives this great long sermon. It's really cool, but I don't actually know what he said word for word because I'm reading, well, I'm reading English, but I could learn Greek and go back, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. So just to what, to your point, it's, yeah, it's, there's, there's a lot there. And I, I guess, um, I, not, 
I don't know. I'm not trying to prove a pointer. I'm just, you know, kind of yeah. agreeing with agreeing with what you're saying that there's a lot there. And I don't know if that means that if that weakens my point of view or my faith or that makes, or maybe that just means I mm -hmm. have to have more faith or more trust or, you know, like I look around because for me, part of it also is just looking around at creation and everything fits together so well. That's part of, and, and I've, yeah, I, I mean, anyway, I, I don't know. <laughs> I'm just rambling now. Well, I mean, I, th I think that it doesn't, this, it, it hopefully doesn't like nothing that I ever want to say to somebody who I think is a good person and is taking the right things out of the Bible or the Quran or the Talmud or whatever, you know, anything, any people who are doing their best to live a good life. I don't want to argue with those people. And I don't, I certainly don't want to take away from the faith or, or the, the pathway that, that they got there. And that's the difficult part of, of a rational conversation about um, religious texts is, it, it, is that it does have the potential to shake the foundations of what someone thinks. And it, it can topple those beliefs or it can make them stronger. It, it can renew them. And, and there have been times in the past where I've talked to people and I feel like I've, I've started to topple those foundations and I don't really want to, I just want to mm. say, Hey, these are the difficulties that I see. Um, I, I think that most people, if, if they're honest, when, when you're talking to them, they, they are probably going to admit that I don't, I don't take everything out of that book word for word. And, and the, the people that do take everything word for word, and we look at them as the fringe of our society, um, because some of that stuff can be, thou, thou shalt not suffer a homosexual to live like that, that can be taken in a way that doesn't fit into, into our world. Um, and, and, you know, there's the very real history of people being put to death for who they love. Um, mm -hmm. and, and I, I think that um, with in that framework, where you say, I have to, I have to find the parts that resonate with me. And I, I kind of have to not abide by the parts that don't resonate with me. And, and in a, a spiritual or a philosophical book, man, I, I can totally agree with that. Mm -hmm. uh, however, that does occasionally, depending on who you're talking to really fly in the face of every word that is written is the unadulterated word of God. Mm. And if that statement were true, man, I, I mean, my, I have problems that are bound. I, then, then I, man, I just can't agree with that. Um, mm -hmm. because in your 45 years and my 52 years, I'm not ever putting down on paper, kill that child. Never. I don't know what I like. It could be the worst. This kid just murdered three of his classmates. He's 12 years old. Should we put him to death? No, we should not. Like we, we need to sit down with some therapy and, and figure out what's going on. And, and there's never a time I'm going to say, kill that child. Um, and so again, that's a, it depends on who you're talking to and how, how they feel about their holy book. But if that's the case, which is often, case that people want to argue this is the word of god because if they say that it's the word of god then whatever part of it they believe in is is bolstered it's it's held up 
Um, but if, if it's not the word of God in this part, then is it really the word of God in this part? Um, mm -hmm. And then it gets kind of muddier. Yeah. Yeah. When, when you said earlier about like morality and ethics outside of religion, I think that's really interesting to think about and talk about too. Like, how do you, how do you know what's right and wrong? How do you know good and evil? How do you know what that is? If, if there is no God, cause I, I mean, I would say, if you ask me, I would say, well, God tells us, God says what's right and wrong. Okay. Now then those things that you're talking about where the passage says your kid talks back to you, kill him or homosexual, or whatever. Well, I would, I would quickly argue like, wait a minute, we, we need to, before we act on that, so hold down, slow your roll. Yeah. We need to figure out what this actually means. Is it actually, and I would argue it's not actually, I mean, that's maybe a misinterpretation or we don't understand the context or something, but it doesn't mean for me today to go out and kill homosexuals. Absolutely does not mean that. Like, I don't right. think that's what the Bible is teaching. I think that's, there might be some passages in there that talk about those things, but anyway, so how do you know, apart from God, how do you know what's right and wrong? Like, how do we, how can we have morality if there well, is the, no God, if there is no God? Yeah. I mean, the, the difficulty I think in answering that question comes in, especially, especially when speaking to a religious person, like I, I think that morality and ethics exist as, as part of any culture at any time. Um, murdering your neighbor is wrong. If we go back a hundred thousand years to, I don't know who that would be. Um, maybe not even really humans yet. They would understand that killing their neighbor is not right. Um, however, in the idea that, um, there could have been at one point, the unadulterated word of God, and that was somehow given to a human being or multiple human beings. And then in the, in the subsequent three or four millennia or however, whatever the time frame is, you think started the old Testament. Um, I think two and a half thousand BC might be accurate, but I would have to go back and check about the estimates of when that is, but you know, maybe four and a half thousand years of, of then passing that story on and rewriting it. And, and the, there's a very valid argument from religious people that this was potentially the unadulterated word of God. And today, the only way we had to pass it on was through human beings. Human beings have, have weaknesses and failings and, and somebody changed this and they didn't think it was a big deal. And then two years later, somebody else changed this. And now we're not sure. Mm -hmm. There's some messages in there that are really good and really make good sense and, and really, really resonate with us. And there's some other ones that just don't. And so within that idea, then it's very difficult to say that ethics and morality exist outside of religion, because it could just be that ethics and morality that I'm feeling came to me through the benevolent God. And, and, and I'm getting that even though I don't ascribe to those necessarily that book. Um, but it still exists in only that way. Um, and, and that is a, that's another argument that's, it's very difficult to defeat. Uh, it's similar to like, there are pink elephants on, on below the atmosphere of Jupiter. I don't, I don't know. <laughs> you don't know. And no, nobody <laughs> knows. And so if somebody says that with, with authority, well, could okay, be, whatever. you know, yeah. Um, very difficult argument to have. Um, but most, to be honest and, and to be fair, most of the people that I, I think I've ever talked to have a very difficult time 
acknowledging that the, the Bible, as, a, as a, an example, is not the unadulterated Word of God. Mm. And, and it, it, it just gets to be a slippery slope for them um, on their belief system if, if they acknowledge that, yeah, maybe, maybe human beings mess this up over four and a half thousand years. Yeah. Um, so, but wait, what, so without, so where would morality come from? How do we know right and wrong if there is no God? Well, I, I mean, I think that we have very good evidence from other species that they, that even as limited as our communication is, they also have understandings of what's right and wrong. And specifically some of our, our primate ancestors or primate relatives or whatever your belief system is, primates, they, they clearly, especially higher primates, apes and bonobo chimps, and um, they clearly have a sense of right and wrong. And I mean, I guess you could argue that that also uh, is coming from God, but I, I don't know other than the idea that of like osmosis, that the goodness just permeates their brain. They're never going to read the Bible. No one's ever going to explain that. Um, they, they have no knowledge or concept of, of God other than if we could potentially teach that to them, but I don't think we could. Um, but um, that, that would be one avenue that you could say that right and wrong exists in nature. Um, and I, if, if right and wrong only existed in Christianity, in that specific deity, wouldn't the rest of the world be absolute chaos? No, uh, well, n no, not necessarily. I don't think, I mean, because if, because we would have a standard of right and wrong, somebody like, where do we get the standard is what I'm, what I'm trying to get to. Like if we say, because animals, I mean, I know, I think I understand what you're saying about animals and apes and stuff, how they, you see them taking care of one another, but I've, I've heard, I've never gone and done the research myself, so I can't say definitively, but I have heard or been told that even amongst gorillas and orangutans, and so, there is rape, like yes. what we would say, like, so is that wrong for an orangutan or, or but so I'm saying, how do we, how do we know that that's wrong to, to do that? How do you know that it's wrong to steal? Like, where does that come from? It, I'm well, saying, let's just for a second say that there is no God. Let's say he's he, yeah. he, not any, not any God at all, not the Christian God, not the God of the Quran or anything. Mm -hmm. Then, then how do we know that why, why or not, how do we know, but why is it wrong? Because if we say it's just each culture decides cultures, every culture has its own definitions of right and wrong. Well, then that, that is problematic because there's cultures even right now today that are, you know, they're taking their little girls and disfiguring their genitalia because their culture says that's okay. Well, yeah. if we put it on the culture and we say cultures get to decide, then we can't say that's wrong because they decided that it's right. There's some cultures in Southeast Asia, in Thailand, where we live. There's some up in like villages, I mean, uh, uh, tribes and villages and stuff where they, they think it's okay to sell their daughters to these Japanese businessmen to be taken and used as sex workers and send the money back home. They've decided as a culture that's okay. That's not okay. You know, it's like, so. 
<laughs> we can't we can't say that cultures get to decide because then if a culture agrees to do some sorry you're trying to talk and i keep no I keep going. no no it's okay <laughs> again it's just there's so many ideas at the same time um but that specific one chris the bible gives instructions on how to sell your daughter into slavery no where I'd have i mean to look I, it, up. Huh? it does I'd have to, to look sell it up your to daughter you into check. slavery yeah how to set a good price for your daughter Um, and on the, on the heels of that, uh, you and I are both going to look that up and we'll talk about yeah. it on another side quest. <laughs> For sure. Um, and hopefully I'm not kind of talking out of my ass. No, um, no, no. Uh, on the heels of that, when, when you're talking about right and wrong, if we take humans out of the picture, is there right and wrong? Is there right and wrong in the universe? And if we, if we, that's an interesting concept. And, and if we re-inject humans, isn't right and wrong, whatever we decide is right and wrong. And throughout history, hasn't that proven to be the case? That what we decide at that moment or during that time, and this is the idea of moral relativism, is right and wrong just what we say? Yeah, I would because, say. Well, it, the last lynching in America was 1955. 1956, where a black man was hung for being black, basically. Mm -hmm. And that was, it, at the time, you could see pictures of white people crowding around the lynching. I was here. I was part of this. Good Christians, good, good religious people that found justification for that behavior wherever they were looking. And we look on those pictures now you can you can google those pictures or wikipedia or whatever and there's pictures of black men and women children hanging from trees and burned and disfigured and you look upon them with the, the appropriate disgust and and horror but at the time there's a very good chance even i i struggle to even say this out loud but there's a very good chance as a white person that I would just feel that was normal. That's what happens right now in mm. 1890, that mm -hmm. this guy, this black guy looked at a white lady in the wrong way and let's hang it. Um, and, and again, as a non-religious person to know that there were, I it's, I'm sorry to use this expression because it, it doesn't apply today, but good Christians who not only <laughs> watched, but actively ended the lives of other human beings because of their skin color. Like that's, it was very difficult to reconcile. And, yeah. and if we're going to, if we're going to have an honest talk about religion, I don't think that we can just limit it to some arbitrary starting point. And then the last thing, and I'm sorry, cause it's so many things at one time and now I'm doing it to you that, um, that I think that morality and ethics existed long before the Bible was written down. And if we look at, something ancient like the epic of gilgamesh or um the tibetan tibetan egyptian book of the dead something that was you know written down before christianity even had their first adherence um there were there were ethics and morality in that in those people and and i guess that there's there's a pathway for you to say and not you just the metaphorical you yeah, yeah. um that uh well that was really that was the god of abraham that was speaking to those people, even though they believed in 
the sun god or, or whatever mm, yeah. that was actually and and again that's a, a very difficult argument to have because when you fall back on god made everything happen well then we're kind of back at at the first point of why is there evil mm-hmm. um, if god made everything happen it's a big topic so much <laughs> there's so, so much, much. so yeah. much there um and the like I, I always feel the need in these moments to really reemphasize that if if you read the Tao of Pooh and that leads you to a better life, I'm all for it. Mm. And if, if you read the Bible or you read, um, you know, uh, the Bhagavad Gita or or whatever whatever your book is that that the ideas bring you to treating human beings with respect and dignity and basically following the golden rule. Um, and I have no argument with you. It's just, there's a, there's a very cogent, coherent argument to say that the moderates of any religious position allow for the extremists. And, and can you that, unpack, unpack that a little bit. It, do you remember when the, the, of course you remember when the twin towers came down and the, although we, I don't know that we're still certain who actually committed that act because there wasn't a very good investigation by the U S but there was certainly conjecture on who committed that and Al Qaeda and ISIS. I don't know if ISIS was around then, but Al Qaeda for sure. And, and fundamentalist Islam. And one of the arguments that was made during that time is look, there's one point, whatever, 6 billion um, people who ascribe to Islam. Mm-hmm. And what we really need in this moment is not Christians to tell fundamentalist Islam to get their shit together, but we need, we need Islamic people to step up and take charge of this situation and talk to their extremists mm. and figure out a way to stop having those extremists. Um, and of course we thought that bombs were a little bit quicker than that pathway. So that's the path we took, but there's 1.3 billion Muslims that I have no problem with. Um, they are, they're trying to lead a good life and have kids and grow up in a good world and no violence or very limited violence, certainly not bombing anybody or, but then there's 300 million, according to some polls that, that believe that jihad on the West is what is necessary. Um, and through kind of, sorry to mix in this quote, but any means necessary. Um, Mm -hmm. and, and that part is quite difficult. And so do we get rid of 1.7 billion or 1.6 billion? Do we get rid of just the 300 million? And how do we do that when there's 1.3 billion that are pretty good people and, and I have no problem with them. Um, and so there's there that you get into that idea of like the, the middle the moderates, mm-hmm. uh, they don't per se allow for the extremists because they don't like them any better than I do. But the fact that we have, we feel like we, we want them to have free will. We want them to be able to decide and, and self-determine their lives means that we are always going to have those extremists as well. Mm. And so it's saying. not that you're allowing the, for it or you're no, no, creating I, them, but, but I see what you're saying. You, the you moderates allow for the extreme. I got you. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah. And that's in, that, to be clear, not Any just, religion. not just Islam, yeah. but Christianity 
same yeah. thing. I mean, that, that's humanity, I think. I mean, when I was uh. a kid, and I don't think this is happening too much anymore, but doctors were being shot at abortion clinics by fundamentalist Christians. Mm. And I'm sure you remember the same thing that, you know, was happening all over. Um, and that, I, I mean, that's a microcosm of, of the mm. Twin Towers, but it's only a difference in scale, really. It's not, yeah. it's, uh, which is, I'm, I'm sorry to be callous about those two things, but um, they're, they're fundamentally the same act in, in a di way different scale. It's terror on a, yeah, on a level. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, there's, yeah, there's so much to think about, but, um, again, nothing, nothing that I say wants to take away from good people living good lives. Yeah. It's, it's just that the same book that inspires you to be faithful to your wife and treat your kids as the treasure that they are and, and lead a good life and try to help people and create an education system. And, and in that same book, um, or a very similar book, we have twin towers coming down. We have Hamas killing 1400 people and the Jews killing 7,000 people. And, mm. and, and those, those kinds of, of conflicts that find justification in, somewhere in the religious writing is again, very difficult for non-religious people to swallow. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But it, at the same time, I'm saying this, we have covered so much ground that it's very difficult to have an accurate on point talk. Like, you know what I mean? Like normally if there's, if there's this kind of talk, like if you go back and listen to like Christopher Hitchens debate, um, Alistair, what was his last name? Christopher Hitchens, if you remember him, he's no longer with us. He used to debate mm -hmm. religious guys in very, a, a very civilized manner, except mm -hmm. that he was drinking scotch and smoking cigarettes. But other than that, it was the, the, the intent was to have a rational conversation between two human beings that have yeah. wildly different views and, and come out of it and be able to shake hands and yet disagree. And if you watch some of those, they are so hyper-focused on one thing because because it's very difficult to have a wide range of conversation because there's so many things left unsaid mm -hmm. from what we just talked about. And so, um, it, I, I will acknowledge that it gets very difficult. And even in, we've been talking for an hour and 20 minutes, it's almost honestly, because it's so wide ranging, like a soundbite and then a soundbite and yeah. then a soundbite. We never really, you know, we never do a deep dive on anything because we're yeah. like, Oh, but I thought of this and now you thought of this. And if I was writing down thoughts and notes, it'd be a full page, like so yeah. much to, to try to say. And but, well, man, I, I, I want to say that I, I think it's really awesome. It's meaningful to me. It's, it's special to me that we can do this, that we can sit and talk rationally and that, that you're willing to, along with me, like dig through these things because they're, they're, I think they're very important and that we should give these, I think everyone in the world should give all this stuff a lot of thought I and, and I should be, I should be willing to question all of my beliefs. Um, and I should be willing to listen to your point of view and say, okay, what does that mean for what I believe? What does that mean for what I've been taught? How I've been brought up? Is that, do I need to change something about the way I'm thinking? Do I need to, you know, rethink that? It's, it's too important to not give it thought and conversation and dialogue and, and maybe even uncomfortable, you know, like 
it's that important, I think, that we should yeah. do that because how can we, how can I grow? How can I learn? How can I be better? How can I do more and be better if I'm not willing to be questioned, if I'm not willing to be pushed and say, hey, uh, you know, the Bible does teach this, or, you know, when you say that, you're thinking like this, that means this. Oh, I, I never thought of it like that. Okay, let me let me spend some time on that. Um, so for me, it's it's very meaningful. It's very special that that you're willing to to do this with me, and that that we get to do this. I think one of the one of the things that allows these conversations to go well, at least on my end, is the absolute certainty that I don't know, mm. and and I I think. The term agnostic is is sometimes viewed as a pejorative, uh, but it, in my opinion, it most accurately describes everyone. <laughs> we don't know, and I I think the difficulty that we get into as a society or as a as a as a human species is when people lose concept, lose that concept, and they get into a framework of I do know. I know better than you. I know exactly how this is supposed to go. And then within that, anything is possible, including violence and, and murder. And if, mm. if you back, just back up from that viewpoint and say, I, I don't really know, not in the, not in the, the sense of truly knowing something. We are all, in my opinion, agnostic and doing the best that we can. And agnostic, in, in my understanding, means we don't know. Yeah. Um, and uh, once you get the certainty that you do know, mm. I, I would almost guarantee problems are right on the horizon. Yeah. But if yeah. you can not get to that point, then you can talk to anybody. You don't have to defend your position. I can believe something that's different than you believe, and we're still okay. Yeah. That that's funny because I saw just the other day um, a little clip. It was Ricky Gervais. And, um, I don't know who, who the guy he was talking to, they were on stage, like having a little conversation and the guy said something about, okay, let's say there's three doors. God exists. God doesn't exist. And I don't know. And, and Ricky Gervais is like, whoa, 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 stop, stop, stop. He goes, what do you mean? There's not three doors the, I don't know that that doesn't matter. That's not a door. And he's like, what? No, no, there's three doors. He's like, no, there's not three doors because God exists. I believe in God. I don't believe in God and I don't know. I don't know is always there. Mm -hmm. He's like, I don't know. That's everybody. That's, that's always there. So put that away. That's not a thing. That's not a door. It's, it's a choice. I, I choose to believe in God. I choose not to believe in God. It's a choice. Like one of the, and that was like basically the end of the clip. And, um, I'm going to say for now, that's where I met that resonated with me. Because I do think that it is somewhat of a choice. Like I choose to believe in God because of all the things that I see. Everything, when I, when I take in everything that I have at my disposal, all the knowledge, all the information that I have available to me, I think I look at the life of Christ in the New Testament. I see who he was as a man. And I, th I think, I choose to believe if I can be like him, if I can really try to be like that man, who he was, who Jesus Christ was, the Jesus I know from the Bible, 
if I can try to be like him, I think I'm going to make the world better. I think I'm going to be a blessing to, to everybody around me, whether they believe in, whether they choose to believe in him or not. And so that's where I'm, that's where I'm at. And so I think that's cool that you said, cause it, it is, I think somewhat of a choice, you know? Um, I agree. So, yeah. And then one more time, I like that. I mean, I, I don't agree with the belief system, but I, I wholeheartedly agree with how it affects your life. And, mm. and, um, similarly it's when I see the world, it's, it's not the, maybe the filter that I look through, but I can still appreciate that it is for other people. Um, right up until the point they want to hurt other people for not believing the same thing. Yeah. 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 Which I, I don't think you disagree with either, but no, it's I a very, yeah, very difficult. Um, like, I mean, it's just that doesn't, that part gets lost for mm. some people and we call them extremists or fundamentalists or whatever other term mm -hmm. we apply, but it, it basically boils down to somebody who is, so entrenched that other people need to be hurt if they don't agree with what I believe. Mm. And that's, that one's tough. Yeah. Well, one day. Yeah. So I don't know what the sign off is for the side quest, man. To be honest, Chris, I could, I could talk about this for days. So, um, you know, this will have to be, I'm guessing that the, the way that, you know, this is gone. That And then this is our second, basically we're at probably about three hours of this. And uh, I mean, we get a lot of meat left on the bone. So <laughs> our side quest might, uh, might regularly dip into this, but I, I don't think, I mean, I, I never think that's bad. And especially when, if there's anybody who's going to listen to this stuff and, and Find, I think people generally find this topic in, interesting, like the, especially when, when it's not just an echo chamber, but there's, there's, um, you know, cohesive arguments on both sides, argument in the sense of, you know, just yeah, a good discussion. Yeah, sure. Um, then, uh, I don't think that's bad. We can talk about this whenever we want. Yeah. And it's, I mean, it's your podcast. We can do whatever we want. It's our podcast. Yeah. Our. Sorry, Goose. Sorry, Goose. We. <laughs> Uh, dude, I, I gotta say, I'm, I'm really excited about the 17th, 18th and 19th that you're going to be down here. Yeah, man, to be honest, like this is really like my, my brain is, has been spinning a few different times about exactly how I'm going to handle this with, um, because although I do teach angle flying quite a bit, it's never in a, a dedicated camp like this. And, mm -hmm. and like, I, I'm not sure everybody's skill set. I'm not sure where everybody wants to go with that weekend, but I'm super excited. It's yeah. going to be fun. Well, and, and like I said to you that, well, I'm going to say the other day, but it was a long time ago. Like <laughs> I, I dude, I, I want to jump with you, but I also want to be respectful of all those people that have, you know, they've asked you to come down here there and, you mm. know, hired your paying you to be here, paying you to coach them. I don't, I don't want to get in the way and be a part of something that I shouldn't be a part of or be, you know, horning my way well, in. But, but I definitely, mm -hmm. um, hope that we at least have an opportunity to, to jump together at least once or something. Yeah. But I'm, I'm excited for, sure. for you to be down here that maybe we can at least go. Yeah. Uh, uh, that's get a taco or probably something. not for me to say, because I'm, 
I'm the paid person, yeah. but, um, <laughs> but you know, maybe you should talk to them and see if they need outside video. I mean, that's yeah, nice, maybe so. You know? Maybe so. That's maybe, a good idea. Maybe they want to, Hey, I'll do outside video at no cost. There you go. There you go. We, everybody wins. That's a good idea. Yeah. I like it. Cool. Well, um, no, but what I was saying, I was thinking of the sign off. Cause usually I, we say, you know, we say, well, you've done it again. You've wasted another perfectly good hour, but this is a side this quest. A so waste. I, I don't know. I mean, who knows? Yeah. You have you have uh, spent another hour and a half this time with us, Jay Russ and Chris, listening to uh, all our ramblings and discussions and arguings. <laughs> mm-hmm. I hope it, I hope it was beneficial to you. If you if you did listen, if you tuned in, um, I'm I'm really thankful for you, Jay Russ. I'm thankful for mm-hmm. the friendship that we're growing and and getting to know each other, and um, thankful for who you are as a as a man, uh, you're, you're a blessing to me and I'm, I'm thankful for you, man. I'm enjoying it. And, and I, I, I would use slightly different verbiage, but I will reciprocate that message. <laughs> uh, and I, I wonder actually, so this one, we didn't, we didn't really say, Hey, we're going to broadcast at this time. And even though it's basically the same time, it's just you and me the whole time. And, but people are going to listen to this. I know because you, you know, hundreds of people are, are downloading these things. And I hope that our next side quest will have something to do with the responses that we get from people who actually do mm. listen and that there are either questions or retorts and similar in the vein of, I don't know. I'm, I'm always really happy to hear contradictory ideas and, and not that I'm ever going to get to a point of feeling like I'm right or I'm wrong. But, but if something that I've said in, in the content of this podcast, someone says, you know what, Jairus, uh, there's not four times that the Bible says kill your child. Or, um, you know, there's no part of the Bible that says you can sell your daughter into slavery. I don't want to be wrong any longer than I have to be. Wrong is, I've definitely been wrong. <laughs> I don't know <laughs> if I've ever been right. But, um, but uh, you know, hopefully the comments will 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 be in good taste and, and in mm. fairness, but, but also that they should challenge anything that is heard. And, and if, again, if I'm wrong, set me right. Um, yeah. But so, bo- both of us for sure. Yeah. Thank you for saying Ho- that. Yeah. Hopefully, li- hopefully we'll get some good feedback. Dude. I love the way you phrase that. I don't want to be wrong any longer than I have to be. <laughs> That's, oh, yeah, good. I mean, That's very good. Listen, 10, 10 or 15 years ago, I was given a tracking seminar and I said, at that time, which was conventional wisdom, if you're out of the jump at around 7,000 feet, I want you to turn around, go 180 from the jump and go away and stop trying because breakoff's going to happen and you're going to be a, a, a variable in there that's very unstable. And Sharon came to me after and said, why, why 180? And I said, well, kind of to get them as far away from the jump as they can be. And she said, what if somebody else has lost two and still coming forward. Hmm. That'd be bad. Hmm. Okay. And so whatever that was, it was at the Sebastian invasion in like 2009 or 2010 or something. And, and she was a, a pretty new jumper and I was not a new jumper. Um, and she doesn't remember the interaction cause I brought this up to her, but, but at that moment I realized I was wrong and, hmm. and cool. Somebody just set me straight and I don't have to be wrong 
when I say that to anybody else or, or worse yet, not just be wrong, but cause an accident because I told somebody to do something and they did it. And then it wasn't mm. a big blue sky and they died. Um, so that was a great moment for me. And, and to be honest, just a great interaction. Here's this relatively new jumper coming up to the organizer and saying, Hey, that, I don't really like that. Um, and she was totally right. So, uh, in that, I try and keep that kind of a situation in mind all the time when I don't want to be wrong any longer than I have to be. Yeah. Yeah. That's good, man. Very cool. All right. Well, thanks for this, J Russ. That was, yeah. that was good. That was good, man. It's fun. I'm glad we hit record. Yeah, me too. I hope, I hope, I hope other people enjoy it as well. And I hope yeah. we get some good comments. I like that. That'd, that'd be fun to read those and, and talk about those. All right. Well, uh, I'll see you in a couple weeks, I guess. Right. Yeah. Maybe yeah, next right. week for a podcast and then for some actual jumping. Yeah. No, I mean in person. Yeah. <laughs> cool. All right. Thanks, J. Russ. Thanks everybody for yeah. listening. Hope you guys get out there, jump out of an airplane, get up there in the sky, have some fun and, uh, enjoy skydiving. For, don't, don't forget we're, we're getting to jump out of airplanes, man. So fun. So much fun. Don't, it's don't really be so focused on, on getting better and progression and all that, that you forget to have fun. You know, sometimes I find myself doing, that. I'm like so hyper-focused on what, what I need to do how to, and I forget to have fun. So I want to encourage everybody have fun. Just get out there and have fun. Cool. Cool. All right. Crave, do more, be better. Thanks, Jay Russ. Thanks, Chris. See ya.